Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Entertainaholics. My name's Richard, and... And I'm Daniel. <laughs> yes, here's Daniel. And uh, <laughs> and today, we've decided to uh, cover a, a very relevant topic now, uh, mostly because the film just came out, and also because uh, it happens to be, A, a topic that we are both particularly interested in, and uh, also it, it's one of the most important uh, sci-fi franchises ever made that I think a lot of people are not completely familiar with, and that's Dune. Um, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Now, the thing is, I, I say this, but also I personally am not nearly as familiar with the entire Dune franchise as Daniel is here. So, Daniel, I, I'd like you to kind of open this up and sort of explain sort of what Dune is <laughs> for for sure. folks who, who don't know, like like me for instance <laughs> yeah yeah well we'll start off with where it came from it's it's an old book uh old book series really when people say dune they're usually just talking about the first book but it has actually a massive series of like i think there's like 20 books or something because after the author's death his son continued but anyways it was published in 1965 written by frank herbert uh, after his interest was piqued by a study on the shifting sand dunes that troubled the coastline of oregon Think about that for a second. Oregon was plagued by shifting sand dunes on their coastline. They wrote up a study, and he was going to do an article on it. And from that, we got one of the greatest sci-fi books of all time. <laughs> uh, it is what I call a multi-field work of fiction in that it touches upon topics of geology, politics, philosophy, biology, and theology. And there's probably a couple of other ologies in there, too, that I'm forgetting. Now, Dune is, as I always say, it is to sci-fi as the Lord of the Rings is to fantasy. It kind of, it is the archetypical sci-fi story, and it set a lot of the tropes that we are still seeing to this day. And so to just give you a quick little overview of it, uh, Dune takes place in the far future of the year 10,191. Humanity has a pseudo-feudalistic empire spanning the universe in which nobility such as barons and dukes rule not over tracts of land, but entire planets. And this is all made possible through something called the Spice. Whether you've seen Dune or not, you've or read Dune, you've probably before heard the phrase, you've heard the reference, the Spice must flow. That's because the Spice is a psychoactive drug found only on one planet, the sand planet Arrakis, or Dune. It opens the mind and allows one to see paths into the future, which is how the Spacing Guild navigates between the stars. Without it, humanity would enter an age of isolation. So, the society we see is an evolution of us now, although 10,000 years, I suppose 8,000 years into the future, uh, and we can still see hints of today's beliefs in theirs, even though time has warped and blended these beliefs. We see concepts and words fundamental to Hinduism and Buddhism, and they're mixed in with concepts and words belonging to Islamic and Catholic beliefs. Uh, those four come together quite a bit and mix in very interesting but strangely compatible ways. 
And it touches also on the philosophy, a huge theme, well, two huge themes are uh, what makes a good leader and what makes a person human. Now, the term human has unique connotations in this setting. Um, This is a setting where uh, AI has been banned because having a machine that resembles a human mind is like a sin. I don't actually remember the uh, (laughs) exact uh, reasoning behind it, but... um, that's why we have the what they call mentats, which are essentially human computers. They're just like capable of superhuman thought because they'd rather have that than uh, AIs. But anyways, the term human has unique connotations in this setting. And we see this early on. You see this early on in the movie and in the book, so it's really not a spoiler. Uh, when a member of the secretive Bene Gesserit, as they're called, is testing the protagonist Paul Atreides. Paul is a duke's son, and uh, so through the millennia, of, and also through millennia of careful Bene Gesserit eugenics. Uh, yes, eugenics are a huge thing in this uh, setting. Very, very careful uh, pairings of who can have kids to produce very specific traits in their offspring way down the line. And so through this process, they believe that Paul might be what they call the Kwisatz Haderach, a sort of messiah for them. But first, they have to test if he's human, as they call it. And this is done using a device that induces intense pain directly through the nerves. It's made clear that an animal lacking in forethought and self-control would gnaw its own arm off to escape such a trap. But a human, a human would endure, remain, so that they might remove a threat to their kind. And this is kind of a threat, uh, a thread, a theme that we see expanded upon throughout the book as Paul navigates his trials and political troubles. And we see many other concepts that are common in popular sci-fi series, such as Star Wars and Warhammer 40,000. As in Warhammer 40k, Dune introduced Western audiences to the concept of a god-emperor who rules over all of mankind, guiding the species according to his ever-changing visions of the future. That is very Dune. I'm pretty sure that's the second Dune book, or the third one. There's literally a book called God Emperor of Dune. Uh, the Jedi in Star Wars are inspired by the Bene Gesserit, which I mentioned before. The Bene Gesserit are kind of like nuns, but they're like superhuman nuns. They have superhuman control over their own mind and bodily functions, as well as being able to control the will of other people through a method known as the voice, which is very similar to Jedi mind tricks. You know, when you know when Obi Wan is saying to the stormtroopers, "These are not the droids you're looking for," and they're convinced these are not the droids they're looking for. Same kind of deal with the voice. There are even spice smugglers in Star Wars. Spice is a thing in Star Wars as well, uh, and of course, sandworms are very popular in sci-fi uh, ever since Dune, such as the uh, sarlacc in Star Wars, and you just see them all throughout sci-fi. But <laughs> also. Richard, I think you can speak to this because you're a fan of one of the games. It's also gone on to inspire a lot of other things other than just the books and whatnot. That's that's right. There have been quite a few uh, board games and video games. Um, now, there were a couple early on uh, for uh, like PC, MS-DOS, but the most important one that I think a lot of people um, tend to, to talk about when they're talking about Dune game adaptations is Dune 2. Uh, It came out in 1992, so it's also a DOS game, but um, the reason it's so important is because it essentially established the conventions of modern real-time strategy games. So every single 
real-time strategy game that exists now um, fundamentally has its DNA in Dune 2 for DOS. Um, and by okay. extension, it, it's also considered to be one of the most influential video games of, of all time for that reason. Um, but it, it really is like it's a, it's a strategy adventure kind of thing. And uh, it does a lot to tell the story in a very interactive way. Uh, I've played it. I think it's a lot of fun. I would recommend it. And I'm sure you could probably... Uh, I mean, like there's sites like GOG.com that have it for sale. You could run this antiquated computer game that's now like almost uh, 30 years old on your uh, on your modern computer I guess so that's pretty cool yeah I actually saw a, uh, a tabletop game um, it, it was a dune tabletop game and I was watching a YouTube video and I'll send that to you it's uh, but it was uh, it's by far one of the most complex board games it's like something about dune it just it can't help itself <laughs> it has to be you know, complex and strategic and okay, that, it's kind of funny. Based on, I suppose, how complex the actual Dune universe is in the grand scheme of things, I feel like that is, like, that makes complete sense, right? But, like, what what kind of, what kind of board game are we talking here? Is this, like, a, like a, a major sort of strategy, like, Settlers of Catan sort of deal? Ooh, Kind of, you're almost on the right track, kind of, but like even more than that, it's, um, I guess, you know, you'd say a tabletop game, which, you know, it's, it's one notch above board games. This isn't just a board <laughs> game, it's a tabletop game. This it's, isn't um, a game for kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, it's, it's like you got the planet and then like you play as one of the factions from the book and then you try to control resources and there's all kinds of stuff that happens and like ways things are calculated. There's a storm that's going around the planet that can totally screw you up. There's every faction has their own unique traits and you can like do espionage and screw up other people. You can make bargains and do corrupt stuff with other players. It's man. It's, uh, that sounds pretty- really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're going to break for commercial, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some adaptation attempts that have happened in the past, and we're also going to talk about the brand new Dune film that literally just came out and that we're really excited about. That's coming up right after this. Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. Welcome back to Entertainaholics with Daniel Friesen and Richard Phillip. We are talking about Dune. The new film has come out, but first we want to chat a little bit about previous attempts at ad- adapting this amazing uh, novel into a film. There's been a couple of attempts, and uh, Richard, you're pretty well-versed in, uh, uh, I guess, the whole history of that. Yes, well, I mean, and there there have been a couple of attempts. There are a couple major ones that I want to cover that are particularly important. Um, and, I mean, in in the, the vast history of Dune, like, I mean, there have been a number of attempted attempts where they started trying to plan it and then it just flopped right so yeah. that is what it is but there are there are two key um adaptation attempts um one of which actually happened but i'm still going to call it an attempt for reasons i'll explain um 
So the first and the potentially most important early attempt to adapt Doom was led by director Alejandro Jodorowsky in the mid-1970s. Um, originally, he'd planned to film the entire story as this 10-hour-long feature, which sounds in- absolutely insane when you think about it. But um, anyways, there there were some big names and a few roles in, 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 in this particular planned adaptation, including Salvador Dali as Emperor Shaddam IV, Huh. Uh, David Carradine as uh, Duke Leto Atre- uh, Duke Leto Atreides, and also Orson Welles as Baron Harkonnen. I feel like that would have been a very interesting casting. That is an interesting casting. Very yeah. interesting that they chose like like Salvador Dali, like people who aren't actors. But I mean, huh. yeah, I st- I think it would have been interesting as well, though, right? Um, yeah. Also, Dan O'Bannon, who. Um, you, you would probably know because he wrote the screenplay for Alien. Uh, he was actually uh-huh. supposed to be responsible for the film's special effects. Um, unfortunately, wow. though, uh, all of this coming together, uh, it never really happened. They attempted to finish the adaptation. It was unsuccessful. And there were a few reasons for that. Jodorowsky's script um, would have actually resulted in a 14-hour movie, which Frank Herbert Ooh. himself said it, it looked like a phone book. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coming uh, from the man himself, that's brutal. It, exactly. Uh, and, and the other thing was was money, because the film had a $9.5 million budget, which, I mean, in 1970s money, I still think that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot. Yeah. And and they had already spent $2 million alone just in pre-production. So, needless to say, quickly ran out of money, didn't quite happen. I think it would have been pretty cool. I think, and the director himself said, like you know, it was it was a good experience to have, nonetheless. But you know, it just it would it, it would have never come to fruition as a, as a fourteen hour movie. Never would I've have seen, happened. I've seen some of, the, and I can understand why it wouldn't come to fruition, especially when I see some of the um, concept art. This stuff is absolutely bonkers. Oh yeah, absolutely. The direction they, they wanted to take it, I don't even know how possible it would have been back then. I mean, and that's the thing, and that's why when when we talk about modern modern Dune adaptation, uh, modern Dune adaptations, because there have been a couple, including a TV uh, miniseries. Um, yeah. You know, modern technology has allowed us to sort of take that into new levels, right? Which I think is cool. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention as well: the first Dune film, the the only adaptation that. Uh, or I should say the first adaptation to ever be released, um, and the one that most people will probably remember was that of David Lynch's that came out in yeah. 1984. Now, uh, this one was released, basically, this was like 20 years after the original book's publication. David Lynch was not a Dune fan, wasn't really a sci-fi fan. He agreed to direct it um, in lieu of, of being asked to direct The Empire Strikes Back. And I mean, thank God, because George Lucas <laughs> There's a ended timeline up where he that. directed Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, that's, that's dark. Right. Yes. Well, oh. and uh, under well, I'll explain. I mean, you 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 know already why that's dark, but let me just explain a little bit more about this. So yeah. Um, uh, 1984 Dune covers far less of the original source material than Jodorowsky's attempted Dune a- adaptation, obviously, because this is only a two-hour film as opposed to a 14-hour phone book-sized adaptation. Uh, but it does feature some pretty recognizable cast members as well, including, get this, Sting. Yes, Sting from The Police <laughs> as as Fade Rautha. 
um, Sir Patrick Stewart as Gurney Halleck and Kyle McLachlan. It, it is it is a good choice. I agree. And Kyle McLachlan, uh, who is one of the main characters in Twin Peaks, uh, as Paul Atreides. Um, yeah, which I also think was a great casting choice. Now, Frank Herbert, believe it or not, he actually liked this film. He said that while Lynch took some creative liberties, it was Dune in essence. <laughs> that I find so peculiar because I'm of the opinion, and I know so many fans are also of the opinion that that movie was everything. Like it, like it might have had to some degree the aesthetic of Dune, but it didn't have the soul of Dune. It wasn't Dune in essence. So I find that yeah. so strange that the man himself would say that. Well, that's that's the thing, right? And audiences and critics, like, they did have a very starkly differing opinion from the author himself in that regard. Like, I mean, it was critically panned. So many people, so many critics in general were just like, well, it's incomprehensible to anyone unfamiliar with the source material. Anyone who's read the book would be in- insanely disappointed by the way the film strayed from the original novel's plot. Yeah. And frankly, after seeing this new adaptation, which is only half the novel, really, um, I am inclined to agree. Can I quickly can I quickly just explain how stupid the ending of the David Lynch Dune is? Yeah, Very please quickly. do. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, this isn't a spoiler for the ending of Dune, by the way, because the ending of David Lynch's Dune is entirely off-track and different from anything that happened at the end of actual Dune. Um, At the end of Dune, in David Lynch's adaptation, uh, Paul makes it rain on Arrakis. And uh, and this is just a cheap attempt at a uh, a, Disney-esque Hollywood happy ending. It's like, oh, they live on a desert planet, and now it's rained. That's great. Except the thing is, this is made very clear in the books. Uh, Water kills the sandworms, and the sandworms are the source of the spice. And as we established earlier, the spice is what allows humanity to plot charts between the stars. Raining on Arrakis kills the sandworms. Killing the sandworms kills the spice. Kills the human empire, because everybody's isolated. That's not a happy ending. Uh, Yeah. That I and you explained that to me after we had watched that film together, and I, uh, ooh, I definitely not a great way to end the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all but, in all pretty tone deaf. But anyways, yeah. Anyways, we should move on to talk about uh, the new Dune adaptation, and I think we'll yes we'll be very brief on that just because we don't have too much time remaining. But I want to hand that off to you, Daniel, because. Uh, I even though we've both seen seen the film, and I want to kind of jump in and, and make a few comments as well. But I think just because you have greater context into the Dune universe, you probably understand this a little bit better than I do. Sure. Well, uh, so this new adaptation that came out in October was uh, by Denis Villeneuve. You may know him for Blade Runner twenty forty nine and Arrival. He's a French Canadian producer, which I just found out today. I knew he was French. I didn't know he was French Canadian. So it's pretty that's, cool. Uh, that's Really cool. Really, really proud of having him here. Um, now, of course, uh, Blade Runner and Arrival are both very distinctive in their visual and musical aesthetics, and this carries over to Dune. S- uh, starting off with the casting, uh, the casting in this new film has been lauded. There were some great choices. You and I have talked about this before, Richard, but Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides is That's an right. excellent choice. Uh, physically, looks the way how he's described in the book, but also just his performance, I feel, captures the character very well. Josh Brolin as Gurney Halleck, 
That's a good one because he's a big dude. You need a big dude to play Gurney Halleck. Stellan Skarsgård, who is actually Bill Skarsgård's father. Bill Skarsgård plays It in the movie It. Uh, <laughs> Stellan, as you said, uh, Richard, uh, he plays an incredibly dark and evil Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Which yeah. <laughs> Is one heck of a contrast from the one we saw in Lynch's Dune, eh? Absolutely. The one that we saw in Lynch's Dune was this really kind of goofy sort of version of him. And, like, when I saw um, this version of, of Baron Harkonnen, like, it was almost tonal whiplash. Like, absolutely yeah. ins- insanely dark. Insanely well, he goes, evil. He goes from a mustache-twirling Irishman to a genuinely highly intelligent plotting evil man yeah you know. Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho and Zendaya plays Chani um, now right off the bat and I want to talk about this in regards to its choices as an adaptation we're running out of time but right off the bat as the title comes on the screen we're shown one of the best choices Villeneuve made that Lynch didn't he split the film into two parts Dune the first book alone is almost as long as The Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of material in the book that could be never depicted in a standard feature-length film, uh, so splitting it into two parts is a very tasteful choice. Um, naturally, when you adapt from a book to a film, you're going to have to get rid of certain things or do things differently. Uh, the way in which the world-building is handled is very tasteful. Uh, there's a ton of world-building done in Dune, but much of it is, in the, is done in a way that cannot be shown on screen, such as thoughts going through characters' heads, uh, instead, this information is given to us through the visual cinematography and the subtext of character interactions. There's more I'd like to get into, but uh, we're going to have to wrap this up soon. So I'll just say the critical response to the film has been great. Audience response has been great. Everybody's pretty excited for the next film. But there's something very important now. We got to uh, I, I got to recommend Dune to you. It is a excellent movie, excellent adaptation you should definitely experience it in theaters if you still can. I don't know if it's still in theaters, but we have to move on from Dune now to something else very important. Richard? Yeah. Yes. I'm I'm leaving, Daniel. I'm leaving you and I'm leaving I'm everybody. <laughs> yes. I'm 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 going to Ottawa, so I'm I'm not going to be able to host Entertainaholics with you anymore, which is kind of makes me kind of makes me sad. But, but you've gotten I, a new big job in the industry. And that's, that's great. That's right. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that and uh, and doing Man. some cool stuff as well. So, but so it's proud been of you, buddy. You're going thank, to Ottawa. Thank you, sir. And I've I've had great fun hosting this show with you and uh, and I hope that uh, our audience has enjoyed my albeit strange input. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I I'm I'm sure they did. Um, and if they didn't, well then you know what? We don't want you. Get out exactly. Of here. I'm going anyways. <laughs> <to> cope. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the show will be continuing, but it will be a uh, solo show. I intend to uh, more or less carry on the same style of content. We're going to be, I say we, oh goodness. I am going to yes. be covering uh, some of the, you know, whatever's topical in the entertainment media at the time, but also uh, some more in depth looks at things that aren't necessarily current, but are interesting nonetheless. So. Right. Look forward to that. We're still going to be airing regular schedule, still posted on SoundCloud, all that good stuff. So. Yeah. Have fun with that. <laughs> I will. And Richard, okay. I hope you have fun in Ottawa. Thank you, sir. Well, this has been Entertainaholics with Daniel Friesen and Richard Phillip. We're signing off. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm.